0: Chapter 26 of the Secret Power. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Secret Power by Marie Corelli. Chapter 26 Don Alesius sat in his private library, a room little larger than a monastic cell, and at his feet knelt Morgana like a child at prayer. The rose and purple glow of the sunset fell aslant through a high royal window of painted glass, shedding an areoli round her golden head, and intensified the fine, dark intellectual outline of the priest's features as he listened with fixed attention to the soft, pure voice, vibrating with tenderness and pity as she told him of the love that sought to sacrifice itself for love's sake only in your creed and in mine, she said. There is no union which is real or binding save the spiritual, and this may be consummated in some way beyond our knowledge, when once the sacred rite is said, You need no explanation from me, you who are a member and future denizen of the Golden City, you who are set apart to live long after these poor human creatures have passed away with the unthinking millions of the time, and you can have no hesitation to unite them as far as they can be united so that they may at least be saved from the malicious tongues of an always evil-speaking world. You once asked me to tell you of the few moments of real happiness I have known. This will be one of the keenest joys to me if I can satisfy this loving-hearted girl and aid her to carry out her self-chosen martyrdom, and you must help me. Gently, Eliseus laid his hand on her bent head. It will indeed be a martyrdom, he said slowly. Long and Torturing. Think well of it. A woman, youthful and beautiful, chained to a mere breathing image of man, a creature who cannot recognize either persons or objects, who is helpless to move, and who will remain in that pitiable state all his life, if he lives. Dear child, are you convinced there is no other way? Not for her, Morgana replied. She has set her soul to try if God will help her to restore him. She will surround him with the constant influence of a perfectly devoted love. Dare we say there should be no healing power in such an influence? We who know so much of which the world is ignorant? He stroked her shining hair with a careful tenderness, as one might stroke the soft plumage of a bird. And you, he said in a low tone, what of you? She raised her eyes to his. A light of heaven's own radiance shone in those blue orbs. An angelic peace beyond all expression. What should there be of me except the dream come true? She responded, smiling. You know my plans. You also know my destiny. For I have told you everything. You will be the controller of all my wealth, entrusted to carry out all my wishes. Till it is time either for you to come where I am or for me to return hither. We never know how or when that may be, but it has all seemed plain sailing for me since I saw the city called Brazen, but which we know is golden, and when I found that you belonged to it and were only stationed here for a short time, I knew I could give you my entire confidence. It is not as if we were of the passing world or its ways. We are of the new race, and time does not count with us. Quite true, he said, but for these persons in whom you are interested, time is still considered, and for the girl it will be long. Not with such love as hers, replied Morgana. Each moment, each hour, will be filled with hope and prayer and constant vigilance. Love makes all things easy. It is useless to contend with the fate which both the man and woman have made for themselves. He is, I should say he was, a scientist— who discovered the means of annihilating any section of humanity at his own wish and will he played with the fires of God and brought annihilation on himself my discovery the force which moves my airship the force that is the vital element of all who live in the Golden City is the same as his but I use it for health and movement progress and power not for the destruction of any living soul by one single false step he has caused the death and misery of hundreds of helpless human creatures, and this terror has recoiled on his own head. The girl Manella has no evil thought in her, she simply loves. Her love is ill-placed, but she also has brought her own destiny on herself. You have worked, and so have I, with the universal force, not as the world does, against it. "'and we have made ourselves what we are and what we shall be. "'There is no other way, either forward or backward. "'You know there is not. "'Here she rose from her knees and confronted him, "'a light aerial creature of glowing radiance and elfin loveliness. "'And you must fulfill her wish, and mine. "'He rose also and stood erect, "'a noble figure of a man with a dignified beauty.' of mine and feature that seemed to belong to the classic age rather than ours. So be it, he said. I will carry out all your commands to the letter. May I just say that your generosity to Guglio Rivardi seems almost unnecessary. To endow him with a fortune for life is surely too indulgent. Does he merit such bounty at your hands? She smiled. Dear Father Elysius, Guglio has lost his heart to me she said, or what he calls his heart, he should have some recompense for the loss. He wants to restore his old Roman villa, and when I am gone he will have nothing to distract him from this artistic work. I leave him the means to do it. I hope he will marry. It is the best thing for him. She turned to go. And your own Palazzo d'Oro? will become the abode of self-sacrificing love, she replied. "'It could not be put to better use. "'It was a fancy of mine. "'I love it in its gardens. "'And I should have tried to live there "'had I not found out the secret of a large and longer life.' "'She paused, then added, "'Tomorrow morning you will come?' "'He bent his head. "'Tomorrow.' "'With a salute of mingled reverence and affection, "'she left him. "'He watched her go, "'and hearing the bell begin to chime in the chapel for vespers.' He lifted his eyes for a moment in silent prayer. A light flashed downward, playing on his hands like a golden ripple, and he stood quietly expectant and listening. A voice floated along the ray. "'You are doing well and rightly,' it said. "'You will release her now from the strain of seeming to be what she is not. She is of the new race, and her spirit has advanced too far to endure the grossness and materialism of the old generation.' She deserves all she has studied and worked for. Lasting life, lasting beauty, lasting love. Nothing must hinder her now. Nothing shall, he answered. The ray lessened in brilliancy and gradually diminished till it entirely vanished. And Don Elysius, with the rapt expression of a saint and visionary, entered the chapel where his brethren were already assembled and chanted with them, Magna opera domini, Exquisita in ominous volatarius aegis. the next morning, all radiant with sunshine, saw the strangest of nuptial ceremonies, one that surely had seldom, if ever, been witnessed before in all the strange happenings of human chance. Manella Ceriso, pale as a white-orm lily, her rich dark hair adorned with a single spray of orange blossom gathered from the garden stood trembling beside the bed where lay stretched out the immobile form of the once-active, world-defiant Roger Seaton. His eyes, wide open and staring into vacancy, were like dull pebbles fixed in his head. His face was set and rigid as a mask of clay. Only his regular breathing gave evidence of life. Manella's pitiful gazing on this ruin of the man to whom she'd devoted her heart and soul, her tender sorrow... Her yearning beauty might have almost moved a stone image to a thrill of response, but not a flicker of expression appeared on the frozen features of that terrible fallen pillar of human self-sufficiency. Standing beside the bed with Manella was Marco Ordini, intensely watchful and eager to note even a quiver of the flesh or a tremor of muscle, and near him was Lady Kingswood, terrified yet enthralled by the scene, and anxious on behalf of Morgana, who looked statuesque and pensive like a small attendant angel close to Don Donalysius. He in his priestly robes read the marriage service with soft and impressive intonation, himself speaking the responses for the bridegroom. And taking Manella's hand, he placed it on Seton's, clasping the two together, the one so yielding and warm, the other stiff as marble and setting the golden marriage ring which Morgana had given on the bride's finger. As he made the sign of the cross and uttered the final blessing, Manella sank on her knees and covered her face. There followed a tense silence. Elyseus laid his hand on her bent head. "'God help and bless you,' he said solemnly. "'Only the divine power can give you strength to bear the burden you have taken on yourself.' But at his words she sprang up, her eyes glowing with a great joy. It is no burden, she said. I have prayed to be his slave, and now I am his wife. That is more than I ever dared to dream of. For now I have the right to care for him, to work for him, and no one can separate me from him. What happiness for me! But I will not take a mean advantage of this. Ah, no, no good, Father. Listen, I swear before you and the holy cross you wear... THAT IF HE RECOVERS HE SHALL NEVER KNOW, I WILL LEAVE HIM AT ONCE WITHOUT A WORD, HE SHALL THINK I AM A SERVANT IN HIS EMPLOY, OR RATHER HE SHALL NOT THINK AT ALL ABOUT ME, FOR I WILL GO WHERE HE CAN NEVER FIND ME, AND HE WILL BE AS FREE AS HE EVER WAS. YES, TRULY, BY THE BLESSED MADONNA, I SWEAR IT, I WILL KILL MYSELF RATHER THAN LET HIM KNOW. SHE LOOKED REGALLY BEAUTIFUL, HER VOICE FLUSHED WITH THE PRIDE AND LOVE OF HER SOUL and in her newly gained privilege as a wife she bent down and kissed the pallid face that lay like the face of a corpse on the pillow before her. He is a poor wounded child just now, she murmured tenderly, but I will care for him in his weakness and sorrow. The doctor will tell me what to do, and it shall all be done. I will neglect nothing. As for money, I have none, but I will work. Morgana put an arm about her. "'Dear, do not think of that,' she said. "'For the present you will stay here. "'I am going on a journey very soon. "'And you and Lady Kingswood will take care of my house till I return. "'Be quite satisfied. "'You will have all you want for him and for yourself. "'Professor Ardini will talk to you now and tell you everything. "'Come away.' "'But Manella was gazing intently at the figure on the bed. "'She saw its gray lips move.' With startling suddenness, a harsh voice smote the air. There shall be no more wars. There can be none. My great secret, I am master of the world. She shrank and shivered, and a faint sobbing cry escaped her. Come, said Morgana again, and gently led her away. The spray of orange blossom fell from her hair as she moved, and Don Donalysius, stooping, picked it up. Marco Ardini saw his action. You will keep that as a souvenir of this strange marriage, he said. No. And Don Alesius touched the white fragrant flower with his crucifix. I will lay it as a votive offering on the altar of the Eternal Virgin. About a fortnight later, life at the Palazzo d'Oro had settled into organized lines of method and routine. Professor Ardini had selected two competent men attendants, skilled in surgery and medicine to watch Seton's case with all the care trained nursing could give, and himself had undertaken to visit the patient regularly and report his condition. Seton's marriage to Manila Ceriso had been briefly announced in the European papers and cabled to the American press, Senator Gwent being one of the first who saw it thus chronicled, much to his amazement. He's actually become sane at last, he soliloquied and beauty has conquered science. I gave the girl good advice. I told her to marry him if she could. And she's done it. I wonder how they escaped that earthquake. Perhaps that brought him to his senses. Well, well. I dare say I shall be seeing them soon over here. I suppose they are spending their honeymoon with Morgana. Curious affair. I'd like to know the ins and outs of it. "'Have you seen that Roger Seaton is married?' was the question asked of him by everyone he knew, especially by the flashing society butterfly, once Lydia Herbert, who in these early days of her marriage was getting everything she could out of her millionaire. "'And not to Morgana? Just think. What a disappointment for her. "'I'm sure she was in love with him.' "'I thought so,' Gwynne answered cautiously. "'And he with her. But one never knows. No one ever does.' "'laughed the fair Lydia. "'Poor Morgana, left on the stock. "'But she's so rich it won't matter. "'She can marry anybody she likes.' "'Marriage isn't everything,' said Gwent. "'To some it may be heaven, but to others.' "'The worser place,' agreed Lydia. "'And Morgana's not like ordinary women. "'I wonder what she's doing, and when we shall see her again.' "'Yes, I wonder,' Gwent responded vaguely, "'and the subject dropped.' They might have had more than ordinary cause to wonder, had they been able to form even a guess as to the manner and intentions of life, held by the strange half-spiritual creature whom they imagined to be but an ordinary mortal moved by the same ephemeral aims and desires as the rest of the grosser world, who, even among scientists, accustomed as they are to study the evolution of grubs into lovely rainbow-winged shapes, and the transformation of ordinary weeds into exquisite flowers of perfect form and glorious color, goes far enough or deep enough to realize similar capability of transformation in a human organism self-trained to so evolve and develop itself, who at this time of day, even with the hourly vivid flashes kindled by the research lamps of science, reverts to former theories of men like Degabalus, who held the beings in process of finer evolution and formation, and known as elementals nourishing their own growth into exquisite existence, through the radio force of air and fire, may be among us all recognized yet working their way out of lowness to highness, indifferent to worldly loves, pleasures, and opinions, and only bent on the attainment of immortal life. Such beliefs serve only as material for the scoffer and iconoclast. Nevertheless, they may be true for all that, and may in the end confound the mockery of materialism, which in itself is nothing but the deep shadow cast by a great light. The strangest and most dramatic happenings have the knack of settling down into the commonplace, and so in due course the days at the Palazzo Doro went on tranquilly, Manila being established there and known as the Bella Signora Seton by the natives of the little surrounding villages, who were gradually brought to understand the helpless condition of her husband and pitied her accordingly. Lady Kingswood had agreed to stay as friend and protectress to the girl as long as Morgana desired it. Indeed, she had no wish to leave the beautiful Sicilian home she had so fortunately found, and where she was treated with so much kindness and consideration. There was no lack or stint of wealth to carry out every arranged plan, and Manella was too simple and primitive in her nature to question anything that her little white angel, as she called her, suggested or commanded. Intensely grateful for the affectionate care bestowed upon her, she acquiesced in what she understood to be the methods of possible cure for the ruined man to whom she had bound her life. "'If he gets well, quite, quite well,' she said, lifting her splendid dark eyes to Morgana's blue as love in a mist. "'I will go away and give him to you.' And she meant it, having no predominant idea in her mind save that of making her elect beloved happy. Meanwhile, Morgana announced her intention of taking another aerial voyage in the White Eagle, much to the joy of Gulio Rivardi. Receiving his orders to prepare the wonderful airship for a long flight, he and Gaspard worked energetically to perfect every detail, where he had previously felt a certain sense of fear as to the capabilities of the great vessel, controlled by a force of which Morgana alone had the secret. He was now full of certainty and confidence, and told her so. I am glad, he said, that you are leaving this place, where you have installed people who to me seem quite out of keeping up with it. That terrible man who shouts, I am master of the world. Ah, cara Madonna! I did not work at your fairy Palazzo d'Oro for such an occupant. I know you did not, she answered gently. Nor did I... "'intend it to be so occupied. "'I dreamed of it as a home of pleasure "'where I should dwell alone. "'And you said it would be lonely, remember? "'I said it was a place for love,' he replied. "'You were right, and love inhabits it, "'love of the purest, most unselfish nature. "'Love that is a cruel martyrdom,' he interposed. "'True, true.' and her eyes shone with a strange brilliancy. But love, as the world knows it, is never anything else. There, do not frown, my friend. You will never wear its crown of thorns. And you are glad that I am going away? Yes, glad that you will have a change, he said. Your constant care and anxiety for these people, whom we rescued from death, must have tired you out unconsciously. You will enjoy a free flight through space, and the ship is in perfect condition. She will carry you like an angel in the air. She smiled and gave him her hand. Good, Guglio, you are quite a romanticist. You talk of angels without believing in them. I believe in them when I look at you, he said, with all an Italian's impulsive gallantry. Very pretty of you. "'and she withdrew her hand from his too fervent clasp. "'I feel sorry for myself that I cannot rightly appreciate "'so charming a compliment.' "'It is not a compliment,' he declared vehemently. "'It is the truth.' "'Her eyes dwelt on him with a wistful kindness. "'You are what some people call a good fellow, Gulio, she said, "'and you deserve to be very happy. "'I hope you will be so.' I want you to prosper so that you may restore your grand old villa to its former beauty. I also want you to marry and bring up a big family. Here she laughed a little. A family of sons and daughters who will be grateful to you and not waste every penny you give them, though that is the modern way of sons and daughters. She paused, smiling at his moody expression. And you say everything is ready? The white eagle is prepared for flight? She will leave the shed at a moment's touch, he answered, when you supply the motive power. She nodded comprehensively and thought a moment. Come to me the day after tomorrow, she said. You will then have your orders. It is to be a long flight this time, he asked. Not so long as to California, she answered, but long enough. With that she left him and he betook himself to the air-shed where the superb white eagle rested all a-quiver for departure, palpitating, or so it seemed to him, with a strange eagerness for movement which struck him as unusual and uncanny in a mere piece of mechanism. The next day moved on tranquilly. Morgana wrote many letters, and varied this occupation by occasionally sitting in the Ligia to talk with Manella and Lady Kingswood both of whom now seemed the natural inhabitants of the Palazzo Doro. She spoke easily of her intended air trip, so that they accepted her intention as a matter of course. Manella only entreating, "'Do not be long away!' Her lovely, eloquent eyes emphasizing her appeal. Now and again the terrible cries of, "'There shall be no more wars, there can be none. My great secret, I am master of the world!' rang through the house despite the closed doors, cries which they feigned not to hear, though Manella winced with pain as at a dagger thrust each time the sounds echoed on the air. And the night came, mildly glorious, with a full moon shining in an almost clear sky, clear save for little delicate wings of snowy cloud, drifting in the east like wandering shapes of birds that haunted the domain of sunrise. "'Guglio Rivardi, leaning out of one of the richly sculptured window arches of his half-ruined villa, "'looked at the sky with pleasurable anticipation of the morrow's intended voyage in the White Eagle. "'The weather will be perfect,' he thought. "'She will be pleased. "'And when she is pleased, no woman can be more charming. She's not beautiful like Manila, but she's something more than beautiful. "'She is bewitching. "'I wonder where she means to go.' Suddenly a thought struck him, a vivid impression coming from he knew not whence. An idea that he had forgotten a small item of detail in the airship, which its owner might or might not notice, but which would certainly imply some slight forgetfulness on his part. He glanced at his watch. It was close on midnight. Acting on a momentary impulse, he decided not to wait till morning, but to go at once down to the shed and see that everything in and about the vessel was absolutely and finally in order. As he walked among the perfumed tangles of shrub and flower in his garden, and out towards the seashore, he was impressed by the great silence everywhere around him. Everything looked like a moveless picture, a study in still life. Passing through a little olive wood which lay between his own grounds and the sea, he paused as he came out of the shadow of the trees and looked towards the height crowned by the Palazzo d'Oro, where from the upper windows twinkled a few lights showing the position of the room where the master of the world lay stretched in brainless immobility, waited upon by medical nurses ever on the watch and a wife of whom he knew nothing, guarding him with the fixed devotion of a faithful dog rather than of a human being going onwards in a kind of abstract reverie, he came to a halt again on reaching the shore, enchanted by the dreamy loveliness of the scene. In an open stretch of dazzling brilliancy the sea presented itself to his eyes like a delicate network of jewels finely strung on swaying threads of silver, and he gazed upon it as one might gaze on the fairylands forlorn of Keats in his enchanting posy. Never surely, he thought, had he seen a night so beautiful, so perfect in its expression of peace. He walked leisurely. The long shed which sheltered the airship was just before him, its black outline silhouetted against the sky. But as he approached it more nearly, something caused him to stop abruptly and stare fixedly as though stricken by some sudden terror. Then he dashed off at a violent run, till he came to a breathless halt, crying out Grandio it is gone. Gone. The shed was empty. No airship was there, poised trembling on its own balance all prepared for flight. The wonderful white eagle had unfurled its wings and fled. Whither? Like a madman he rushed up and down, shouting and calling in vain. It was after midnight and there was no one about to hear him. He started to run to the Plaza d'Oro to give the alarm, but was held back, held by an indescribable force which he was powerless to resist. He struggled with all his might, uselessly. "'Morgana!' he cried in a desperate voice. "'Morgana!' Running down to the edge of the sea, he gazed across it, and up to the wonderful sky through which the moon rolled lazily like a silver ball. "'Was there nothing to be seen there, save that moon and the moon-dimmed stars?' With eager, straining eyes, he searched every quarter of the visible space. Stay! Was that a white dove soaring eastwards? Or a cloud sinking to its rest? Morgana! he cried again, stretching out his arms in despair. She has gone, and alone! Even as he spoke, the dove-like shape was lost to sight beyond the shining of the evening star. Lonvoy. Several months ago, the ruin of a great airship was found on the outskirts of the great desert, so battered and broken as to make its mechanism unrecognizable. No one could trace its origin, no one could discover the method of its design. There was no remnant of any engine, and its wings were cut to ribbons. The travelers who came upon its fragments half buried in the sand left it where they found it, deciding that a terrible catastrophe had overtaken the unfortunate aviators who had piloted it thus far. They spoke of it when they returned to Europe, but came upon no one who could offer a clue as to its possible origin. These same travelers were those who a short time since filled a certain section of the sensational press with tales of a brazen city seen from the desert in the distance, with towers and cupolas that shone like brass or like the city of pure gold, revealed to St. John the Divine, where in the midst of the street of it is the tree of life. Such tales were and are received with scorn by the world's majority, for whom food and money constitute the chief interest of existence. Nevertheless, tradition sometimes proves to be true, and dreams become realities. However this may be, Morgana lives and can make her voice heard when she will along the sound ray, that wonderful wireless which is soon to be declared to the world. For there is no distance that is not bridged by light, and no separation of sounds that cannot be again brought into unison and harmony. There are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamed of in our philosophy, and the golden city is one of those things. Masters of the world are poor creatures at best, but the secret makers of the new race are the gods of the future. The End End of Chapter 26 End of The Secret Power by Marie Corelli